0: Well, Providence, it's great to see you. It's always a joy to worship with you. I'm uh, let me just say, I'm just so grateful uh, for all the members of our worship team, those on the stage behind me. We're just so grateful for you guys. But uh, it is good to see you. It's good to see your face. Been praying for you this week that the Lord would uh, pour His Spirit out upon you and your relationships and various responsibilities. And if you're a guest here at Providence, welcome. We're really, really glad that you have joined us as well. If you know Christ, uh, we're glad that you came here to um, well to worship him, and if you don 't we 're also really glad that you 've come and, and our prayer is that the Lord would help you to learn more about who he is and what he has done here at Providence. We love the Bible and and, uh, and most of the time uh, what we do is as we gather, we read some in fact, all the times that we gather, we read some, um, but most of the time we just work verse by verse through a book, which is what we 're doing and so if you brought a Bible, if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're up to verse 13 through 16. Uh, And if you don't have one with you, there's a lot of Bibles in the chairs near you. And if you don't have one at home, we would love for you to take that home as a gift, okay? And we would love for you to have your own copy of the Bible. This message, this text, deals uh, with something that was happening there in Ephesus, and it's still happening today. It's very, very pertinent. It's about racial Harmony and tension, hostility around the world. And so it's obviously pertinent to our day. And so, um, but God's word actually tells us that that if he doesn't help us with this, if he doesn't open up our heart, our eyes to his word and help us to believe it, that we're gonna walk out of these doors totally unchanged. And so I always love to pray even before we begin. So if you would, let's bow and let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you gave us your word, and as we read a portion of it this morning, we pray that you would do the miracle to work through all of the hurdles within our fallen hearts that would choose not to believe all or a portion of what we read here, and that you would give us the courage not only to believe it, but then the courage to practice it and to put it into practice in our life, to, to obey it. So God, would you open up our eyes? Would you help us to see amazing things in your word? But even more than amazing things in your word, would you help us to see your son, the glory of Jesus Christ in your word, that we would be amazed at him, that we would love him, that we would want to honor him, that we would want to aim every part of our life towards his life, because this book says that Christ is the point of our life. And so give us help, I pray. Speak through weakness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in my 44 years here on this earth, um, I've had the opportunity, uh, uh, which is just a very uh, much a gracious privilege to visit uh, roughly about 30 different countries on six different continents. And so those travels have, have uh, really put me in front of lots of different people, lots of different kinds of music, lots of different foods, lots of different ethnicities, languages, cultures, family structures, family dynamics, beautiful things in terms of the landscape, in terms of the music, all kinds of diversity all around the world. Really, is just an amazing gift that, that is just that. It's a gift. I didn't earn it. I just, it's just a gift. It's a beautiful place. It's an amazing place. But What's sad is this, is no matter where I've gone in the world, wherever I've traveled, I have found in that place at least two different people groups who have a historical dislike and distrust for one another. Everywhere I have gone, there are people groups. We can call them tribes because we tend to tribalize around people that are like us. And every tribe has a rival, and all of these rivals, just like these pictures show, are separated by really big walls and lots of bloody wars. Hostilities and tensions and suspicions racially, ethnically, they exist all around the world. From the terrible genocide in Armenia to the massacres around Sudan, Rwanda, Holocaust in Germany, the ethnic cleansing that's happening even today of the Kurds over in the Middle East, all the way to the slavery here in our own country and all around England. The litany of ethnic and racial hatred is deep and it's wide. And we know that. We know our culture is looking for solutions to that right now. We think it's in education. We think it's in transformation of the mind. We, we think that if we could have cultural appreciation experiments and education, then, then somehow everything would, would change. The fact is, is, we're looking for solutions. And this is always the problem when we go looking for solutions to problems that are actually inside of us, is we never get deep enough. We always deal with the symptoms and never with the infection. You see, the Bible says that the problem in the world is the problem in our heart. And we hardly ever look there. And that's why the Bible is God's revelation. He says it's God's revelation to reveal something to us. In other words, what's in this book, you can't invent, and neither can I. We would never say, you know what we should do? Let's do it this way. No, God reveals the best way. God reveals how we deal with with the, not only the symptoms, but even to pull back all the way to the infection of the heart. And, and so God's revelation, we find here in chapter 2, an explanation. In fact, the solution to our problem is actually found right here. And what is happening in this text is Paul is addressing what is literally now a century, centuries-long conflict in the Middle East between ethnic Jews and ethnic Gentiles, all the other peoples that aren't Jews. I believe why he's starting here is that he wants to to show us. He goes, look, if God can deal with this problem, he can deal with yours. So this is what he says. Let's back up to verse 12. He says, remember, and he's speaking here to Gentiles in Ephesus who've come to faith in Jesus, and they're a part of a a church, lots of different churches in the city. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now if you're looking for a for a for a thesis or a theme just one central idea of what Paul's trying to unpack I believe it would be this is that God's desire is to take us from many ethnic bloodlines and lead us into the bloodline of Jesus a bloodline that was that began at the cross intended to bring people from every tribe and every language and every nation and every people group into one people. And what's interesting is you look through this passage, okay? We break it up into three different sermons simply because of time. But verses 11 to verse 22 of chapter two, it's one central thought. He starts by saying, don't forget you guys were divided. Verses 13 through 16, that's our text. What he's saying is Jesus brought you together. Next week, verse 17 to 22, he's going to say, now, here's how you live together in a way that's going to honor Christ and be good for each other. So next week is really, really practical. Hopefully not that this one won't be. But but the fact is, is what he wants to show in these verses is this is how God did this. In verse 12, it says you were strangers from each other. By verse 19, he says, you are no longer strangers, but now you're literally citizens of the same household, one family, that you've become brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to ask the question, how did Jesus pull this off? How did he accomplish this? And he did two things I want to show you. The first is this, is that Jesus broke down the hostility separating us from God. The first thing he had to do is break down the hostility that existed, this wall of hostility that separated us from God. Now, what he's doing here is he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. And I think this is why. What he's saying is this. If Jesus can break down the wall of hostility between holy God and sinful man, then surely he also has the authority and the power to be able to break down the wall of hostility between sinful man and sinful man. And so he starts in verse 13. And he says, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then verse 16, he says, he'd reconciled us both to God, killing the hostility. Hostility is something that we don't necessarily use as a word that sits in the middle of us and God. We don't feel it that way, but God felt it that way. God saw it. He felt, he saw a wall, an enormous wall of hostility. And some of us, we just look at that and we think, but I just don't feel that kind of hostility. I've never felt that hostility. Even before I trusted Christ, I never felt that there was hostility between God and me. And friend, the reason is because you're not the victim. Have you ever thought about that? You're not the victim in this relationship. You see, it's always the victim who gets offended. Most of you have been in the car, you're driving down, and suddenly someone pulls out in front of you. A lot of us look like this guy, right? We're like, wait. Now, the person who pulled out in front of you, they don't look this way. You know why? Because they're not offended. They don't feel hostility in their heart. They may not even be aware that they pulled out in front of you. And if they are, they may have more of a face like, "Ooh, I'm so sorry. They don't feel hostility because they weren't offended. Someone pulled out in front of you, and so you feel offended. And what the Bible says is this, is that every one of us have all pulled out in front of God. We may not feel that, but that's exactly what God says, is in our relationship with him, he is the offended party. Psalm 51 verse 4 says this, against you only, Lord God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, in your sight. Now, just imagine, like I know it's hard to sort of imagine because you, because because this doesn't happen. But let's just say, let's just imagine that you live in a neighborhood and there's just one particular neighbor that every time he's about to sin or is choosing to sin, he comes over and actually performs the sin in your living room. And he brings everything that's necessary in order to sin in your living room. So if he wants to lie to somebody, he brings the person he's about to lie to, he says, I'm so sorry, this this will only take a moment. He comes right in the middle of your living room and he lies and then thanks so much and they walk back out when that neighbor wants to commit adultery, when that neighbor wants to watch pornography, when he wants to bow down to idols, wood or stone, anytime he wants to yell at his wife or hit his child, anytime he wants to sin, every time he's about to sin, he comes into your living room. You say, Brian, this is crazy. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to you, but it happens from you. That's what he's saying here. He goes that we live in God's living room. That every time we sin, we're doing it in his presence, in his face. You see, there's a lot of people who look at life and even at Christianity and the Bible as if we have our little world and we're asking God to kind of like rain down blessings in our world. Let me just tell you something. You have no world, okay? You live in his world. We all live in his world. We're all tenants. He owns everything. You came with what? You came with nothing. You came naked. That's what you came with. That's what I came with. And when we leave, we take nothing with us. Everything in the middle is borrowed. All the relationships you have, all the things that you have, all the experiences that you have, God's allowing you to experience these things. Psalm 24, verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. Welcome to God's living room. And when we sin, there is always a victim. There is always an offended party when we sin, always. And what God says is it's always him. It may be other people as well, but even when we're offending someone else and we're sinning against another human being, we're also sinning against God. You see, it's God's word that we disobey. It's God's wisdom that we don't esteem. It's God's presence that we don't love. It's God's pleasure that we disregard. It's his faithfulness that we don't trust. It's his justice that we don't respect. And so imagine the offense. Imagine if every time God was offended by humanity, he added another brick to the wall of hostility. Imagine how tall that wall would be. And how did God respond? What this text says, it says that he had his son go over the wall. I don't know anybody on this earth that that does that. I don't know anybody who loves their enemies so much that if it really came down to it, you would kill your own child. For someone who intentionally always came to your living room and did all their sin in your presence in order to offend you. And that's what God did. Jesus Christ came over the wall. And then he lived on our side of the wall. He was tempted just as we were, yet he would never sinned. He declared himself God. This is the first time that all the Jews and Gentiles, they said, hey, we can all rally together on this. Let's kill him. And so he went to the cross and when he went to the cross, he absorbed all the hostility that was directed towards us. And he took all of it himself. This is why it says he, by the cross, by his blood, he killed the hostility. He broke down the wall between us and God. He was our mediator. This is why 1, 1, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, he says that there is one God and there's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. The word mediator means two people have a problem. They can't get along. Someone else needs to come into the middle who identifies both of their issues. And so Jesus came over the wall to identify with us. He took on a body and was tempted just as we were to identify with us. And yet he never sinned just like his father. And he became the mediator to say, God, the father and sinful humanity, I can mediate between the two of you. If you've never trusted Christ, there is hostility that is stored up towards you. But it doesn't have to be. Jesus died, and if you believe in him, that he died and rose again, he literally will take away all that hostility. He'll take away that sin. He'll give you his righteousness. And it says here that he becomes our peace. That hostility was killed by the blood of Jesus through the cross. Now, why is this so important to an idea? Wait, you said I thought this was about racial relationships. This is why I believe he starts here. Because until we see how God's wrath can be overcome towards us, we will never believe that there's a solution that can overcome the wrath that we have for one another. And this is true in any marriage or any relationship, any culture, any ethnic divide, any, any divide between two people here on the earth or more than two people here on the earth. When there is a divide between the two, if we do not see that there was a wrath, a hostility, a wall that is taller and bigger and thicker than any wall that we have between each other, that that wall could be crushed down, we would be absolutely hopeless to think that the walls between each other could be pulled down. And what Paul is saying, what the Word of God is saying is, he starts with the greater in order to emphasize that he has the power to reconcile the lesser. I'm not saying that the offenses that people have on this earth, that they're not significant, they are. But to be totally honest with you, they do not compare to the offense that humanity brought upon God and the hostility between a perfect, holy God and all of humanity did sin against him. And so the first thing we see is he broke down this hostility separating us from God. The second thing is he broke down hostility separating us from one another. One another. Now, anytime you see a racial flare-up. Anytime you see a racial um, rally that turns rough. Anytime you see supremacy of people groups on the earth being held up as, as honorable over other people groups. Anytime there's a racial flare-up, you have to understand something, and that is that you came late to the fight, okay? Always. The pot has been on low heat for a long, long, long time. And what we tend to do, right, we are a people that deal with a headache and not with a cancer. We are always a people that are dealing with symptoms instead of the infection that's always deeper. We're always looking for the quick fix instead of the eternal fix. And so we're always dealing with why is that rally happening? Why is this happening? Why was this tension taking place? Hey, let's just, let's just train people a little bit different. And so what this text tells us is it says, if you really want to be whole, you have to back up far enough to get all the way back to the source of that infection. And so some people go. Wow, this this tension between Jews and 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 and, and all these Gentiles, man, it's like really long standing. We got to go back a long way. But it's interesting. We never go back far enough. You see, most people, where do they go? They go back to Abraham, father Abraham. This is the this is the this is the start. Most people believe of this tension. Indeed, there's. It certainly uh, tells a story. So let me tell you just a little bit of, of the story. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, God comes to a man named Abraham, and he graciously chooses him. And he says, look, because the whole world, or, earth is sinning against me, but I'm going to choose you. And he gives him four different promises. He says, I'm going to bless you. He says, I'm going to make you into a nation, even though you have no children and your wife is barren. Third, I'm going to give you a very special land, a piece of land on the earth that, 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 that you're going to love. You're going to love this place. And the fourth thing is, he says, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. In other words, the rescuer that's needed in order to reconcile man and God, he's going to come from your lineage. One day there will be a child that's born from somewhere in your line that will be the savior of the world. This is the promise. And and God gave it to him when he was 75 years old. 75. Well, nine years pass. So now he's 84 and he still has no kids. He looks at God and he says, man, I thought it was a promise. All right, whatever. And so he takes things into his own hands. And so he takes Hagar, his servant, in his own hands. He sleeps with her and has a child. His name is Ishmael. Ishmael. Well, God comes to Abraham and he goes, you know what? This is not my plan because this son glorifies your power and your effort and your work. It doesn't glorify me. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a son that will glorify me and my work and my accomplishments in your life. And so God made sure that he waited long enough to where everyone knew that we couldn't praise Abraham. He waited 15 more years. Now he's 99. Romans chapter 4 says, of this man, he says, he was as good as dead. That's not a compliment, is it? As good as dead. It was very clear now Abraham could not have children and Sarah's wife was barren. And it was at this point in time that God did a miracle in their life. She has a son, and his name is Isaac. And this creates a family feud, you see. Isaac and the Jews, Ishmael and the Arabs, the Gentiles, they both assumed rights over the land, over the promise that our ancestor is the true son of the promise. And so God gave him a book, and the Gentiles, they rejected the book, the Bible. The reason that they rejected it is because it says that God's blessing goes to Isaac. And Isaac's kids, they get all arrogant with the book. And they start saying things like, hey, have you ever heard of David and Goliath? Well, yeah. Yeah, well, David's our people. Goliath is your people. All the villains in the book, they're all your people. And all the heroes in the book, they're all our people. And they become arrogant with this. This becomes even more of a problem. And resting on this feud are literally thousands of years of wrongs and then retaliations to those wrongs and then retaliations to those retaliations. Nine years ago, we were in Israel. Literally, you go to Israel, it's a beautiful place, it's all inspiring and yet you feel like it's a time bomb. You're just waiting for things to happen. There's so much tension. Check this out. They've got teenagers that they draft for either two or three years to be in the army, and they all have a machine gun walking around. Literally, a machine gun just walking around, a bunch of teenagers. It's crazy. There's so much tension. Two days before we're about to leave in Jerusalem, an Arab man drives a backhoe into a coffee shop, kills a bunch of people. And everyone's like, man, why would you do that? Well, it's because one of his ancestors was hurt by one of the Jews at some point in time. Well, why did that happen? And it just keeps going back and it stacks. Hostility stacks upon hostility, which stacks upon hostility. And and here's our problem. We always say, had he not gone through the coffee shop, I wouldn't be so mad. You see, we never get back to the source because we never get far enough back. But if we don't go far enough back, we'll wrongly conclude that all racial tensions, including the ones in our own land, that they originate with land and bloodlines and skin colors. And so God says, you got to go back farther than Abraham, even farther than Abraham. See, the reality is Abraham, when, he, when God chose Abraham, Joshua 24 actually says of him that he's bowing down with his dad to stone and wood idols. He commits adultery. I mean, Seriously. Like, if I did this, I would be your former pastor, right? When, when God chose Abraham and Abraham believed in God's promise and became part of God's kingdom, the moral average of the kingdom of God did not elevate. Even the Jews have nothing to be proud of in terms of the moral ancestry. Even the New Testament says, he goes, look, you, let me just get this This is be real, real clear about this. God didn't choose you because you were better than anybody else. It was just grace. And so if we go far enough back, we get to the first verse of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God created a man and a woman. And he said to them, I want you to multiply. I want you to have children who have children who have children. And so this is where we all came from. One human race. They sinned against God and they brought death and strife to all of that one human race. Like DNA, it was passed to each one of us, that we would all die and that we would all have strife with one another. Sadly, the unselfish heart that was in the garden before sin that said, my life for your good, was now transformed to saying, your life for my good. And ultimately, if you really think about what's happening in the world, even in the even in the the whole historical context of our culture, of our nation, and of every other nation and every other ethnic battle around the world. What you see is the seedbed is this. There's a transition from my life for your good to your life for my good. This is the seedbed of our nation's deepest stains. see, personally, my evaluation is our two deepest stains as a country is slavery and abortion. People... Thinking they can own people. And then in the last 45 years, 60 million babies have been killed. Why would this take place? Because we conclude that the value of our heart is this we move from my life for your good to I'm gonna take your life for my good. It always starts in the heart. You see, we always have to go deeper, though. You see, while slavery and genocide and tyranny and supremacy rallies, whether they're white or brown or black or whatever they are, they're all evil, they're all vile, they're all sinful. But the real source of the infection was and still is a sinful heart that demands to get its own at the expense of other people. And without the right antibiotic... We will forever deal with symptoms instead of the source. So what's the antibiotic? Jesus came and he said, this is the antibiotic. It's a new heart that lives a life of repentance. You see, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible says that we're born again. Ezekiel 36, he describes what it means to be born again in these words. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. So those of us who are in Christ, we're absolutely new, but we still have our old ruts, and we have to repent of our ruts. So when Jews and Gentiles began to believe in Jesus Christ, this is what happens, right? So Jesus rises from the dead. All the eyewitnesses, they were all Jewish. The first church was Jewish. They start telling people that Jesus rose from the dead, and that good news got out. Gentiles started hearing, and they start believing in Christ, so here in Ephesus, they had to ask a question, and that is, well, we all need a church too, so what should we do? Should we just put like the Jewish church to Jesus Christ on one side and the Gentile church on the other? And he says, no, because you're no longer two people, you're one people. You're no longer two families, you're one family. You're no longer multi bloodlines, you're now one bloodline. If you're in Christ, You are now one, is what he says. You see, if Jesus is the mediator, Jews and Gentiles come to Jesus, they're brought near to each other. In our context, right, if Jesus is the mediator, and people who are black and people who are white both come to Jesus, they're brought near to each other. Just as every other ethnicity and every other race and every other skin color that there is. It says that we're brought near, and then he says that Jesus broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What does that mean? It means as long as the Old Testament was confused as the foundation of how we're reconciled to God. So long as the Bible was confused as rules that we're supposed to keep, and if we keep them, we'll be reconciled with God. Nobody had any hope. Why did no one have hope? Because the Gentiles didn't have the book and the Jews never kept the book because they couldn't. You see, the Bible actually says that the laws came after sin, not before. In other words, people are out sinning and God says, they don't know that I call that sin. In other words, he gave lying people the command, thou shalt not bear false witness. It didn't start with the commandment. He goes, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? He says, I need to show them how they're sinning. Nobody could be reconciled to God by obeying the Bible. Did you hear that? Nobody can be reconciled to God by obeying the rules in the Bible. We're only reconciled by believing in Jesus. That he kept all the rules. That he was holy. And so Christ died to build a new foundation. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. Now, if you're following along, what I'm really saying is this, is that America and every other country, so long as people do not come to faith in Jesus Christ, will not experience racial harmony on the earth. We can educate people. We can do all kinds of things sociologically, but the reality is the problem is in the heart, and so there will constantly be flare-ups on this earth between people who do not look like each other. But here's the hope. You say, well, God, that's daunting. All right, let's go. Let's, let's take that nugget out. Let's take that home, and no, no, no. Here's the hope, is that God has created a church on the earth to be a light, a city on a hill. Where people of different colors, different genders can all come together. All these created differences, we all come together. And instead of tolerating one another, we appreciate one another. Instead of saying your life for my good, we say my life for your good. And suddenly Jesus becomes the rallying point to all kinds of diversity. And on this earth, the people outside of the church, they look and they go, man, look what Jesus can do to a diverse people. He can bring them together, that they love one another and appreciate, appreciate the great diversity that's there. So next week, we're gonna talk about a lot of applications for us personally here in Raleigh, but four things right now. What do we do with this text before we take the supper? First is this, is let's trust Christ and be reconciled. You don't know Christ. We welcome you to trust him today. Whatever your tribe is, however you would define that, you need to know that Jesus is not a tribal God. He's the God of every tribe. Every tribe will be represented at his throne. So we urge you to trust him today. The second thing is this, is let's repent for rebuilding what Christ has torn down. Jesus looked at a wall of hostility racially and ethnically here on the earth between us. And he pulled it down. Do not be the man or the woman that seeks to build it back up. Those of us who contribute to trying to build it back up, the Bible has a very simple invitation to you. And that is stop. It is repent. You say, well, what does that look like to rebuild the wall? Well, for some of us in the room, it's simply repenting of hatred. Unjustifiable hatred towards people. Repent. For some of us in the room, it's suspicion. Every single week, daily installments in a fallen world are filtered and sp- sprinkled all over our heart. Some of us are simply walking here and we're I wonder if those people are like those people. Repent. For some of us in the room, just like me, I wrote you a two page article this week. If you've not seen it, it's on the website. Just on indifference. We look at him and go, I don't got a problem with anybody. So they, those who do have a problem with each other, they should repent and move on. If that's you, you need to repent. Jesus broke down a wall. We do not want to contribute to building it back up. The third thing is let's show the gospel's power by appreciating one another. This requires a change of heart. You see, the goal of the church is not to see each other as though we're not different in our skin color. But to appreciate diversity in skin and culture. God made these things. And Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 says that when we get to heaven, He doesn't take them away. What He takes away in heaven is our heart's inability to appreciate these things, to love these things. You see, the world needs to see a model that moves past toleration to appreciation, it needs to see a model. To where we move from your life for my good to my life for your good. And you need to understand something. The odds are against us, Providence. By the time we regather for next week's sermon, you're going to have six days where the culture has sprinkled an investment of suspicion in your life for people who don't look like you. And so if you don't sprinkle truth any more than on Sundays, we will always be behind in this area, which is why the verse for us to memorize, there's two of them in November, or Ephesians chapter 2, verses um, 18 and 19. This is what it says. In fact, let's say it together. Ready? For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What this means is this, is that you need to be placing good seed in your heart that reminds you that the people who are unlike you, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they are one of you. They're one of you. Fight for your heart. The fourth is this, is let's share the gospel as our only hope. I want to urge you not to shine a light as the people of God on the problem of race and racial tensions in the world, without also shining a light on the solution that we know is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, without a change of heart, there's no harmony. Only Christ can give us a new heart. Only he can give a repentant heart. So let's labor to speak of the gospel as frequently as we labor to highlight injustices to the world. Those of us who are tempted to just talk about the injustices, we actually contribute to the problem by not giving people the solution that is found in Jesus Christ. You see, Providence, old things may explain things about us, but they no longer have to define us. Christ made us one body through the cross. So when we come to a supper, isn't it interesting that the supper is all about family? And this is how we know this. The supper, the Lord's Supper, was initiated the night that he was betrayed. It was the Passover. Well, the Jews would always take Passover with their family. It was commanded. You do this with your family. And yet Jesus took 12 men away from their families to celebrate and institute a new supper with him. In doing so, what he's saying is this. You are my family. You are a new family. It's not saying that you throw away your old family. It's that You have an allegiance to a new family because I am your king. I am your father. You see, when we take of this, what we're saying, you look around the room, there's people who don't look like you. But if you know Jesus Christ, we've become one family and one household. Isn't that good news? So for those that will be serving us, if you want to go ahead and stand up and head to the back, so grateful for our deacons who do this for us. And, And as they do this, let me just remind, Jesus told us to take this supper to do two things. He wants us to remember what he did and he wants us to proclaim what he did. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, we would just humbly ask that you would let these elements pass. But if you do know Christ, we welcome you to the table. We ask you to take it. We want you to take it. Jesus does tell us that we need to take this with a clear conscience. And so as these elements are being passed, I want to encourage you to do two things. One would be confess any sin in your life so that you can take it with a clean conscience. But then second... You marvel, really marvel at the word of God as Ephesians 2 is read to us. And so if you would, let's bow, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness. And we pray now, God, that as we take of the Lord's Supper, that you would prepare our hearts. We thank you for our new family. We thank you for our new identity in Jesus Christ. And pray, God, that you would continue to do the miracle that you began in our lives to bring about harmony within the church that would be attractive to the world. So we look to you. We need your help. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.